Come into God's presence with singing. Enter into God's courts with praise. Come, let us worship the Lord our God. God is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. God is girded with strength. The Lord has established the world. It shall never be moved. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. 
the floods lift up their roaring. Gracious God, glory to you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for his saving death and resurrection, and his glorious ascension. We lift our praises to you that Christ has ascended to rule at your right hand, to put down the tyrannies that would destroy us, and to unmask all idols that would claim our allegiance. Our adoration rises to you like the rising of nourishing bread, like the tides rising upon the shoreline, like the birds lifting their songs on the morning air, like the crescendo of voices swelling in a choir, like the newly baptized rising from the waters of the river. Yet our words are not enough for our adoration and our gratitude. So we adore you with our very lives. Accept this offering as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both everyone worshiping together in the sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord. And because it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have gathered, that means our word of welcome is one that is extended with absolutely no qualifying adjectives whatsoever. Christ welcomes all, and so in his name we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. We would be delighted if everyone, members, and guests would join us for a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service. That time of fellowship will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right, down a very short ramp, and there you will find our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, we will have the opportunity to engage more deeply in our common life together. We also ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would please sign the friendship pad, which you will find on your pew. You may sign it and send it down and back again, and then we will have the advantage of each other's names. I'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your uh, bulletin for your particular attention. One that's coming up this week on Tuesday, May 23rd, Diane Rogers is going to share some pictures and reflections from her recent trip to Australia and New Zealand. That's at noon. Please RSVP to Women of Wit and Wisdom at fpcphilip.org to let us know it's in the bulletin. You'll see it there. Likewise, you will also see in the bulletin a calling all members to a time capsule. Now, we are celebrating our 325th year as a congregation this year. It will, there are cel celebrations that will take place all year long, culminating on All Saints Sunday in November. At that time, the children of our congregation will have prepared their time capsule to go into the vault, quite literally, for 25 years to be opened at our 350th anniversary, and they need your stories. It's a great opportunity to get to know some of the younger members of our congregation who will be doing the interviews, so you can sign up either using the sign-up sheet that's in the hallway across from the church office, or you can email Karen Marston, who's coordinating this effort, directly. 
we would love to hear from you. So with all these things noted, let us now continue our worship with our confession of sin. Confession is a mirror by which we see ourselves more clearly. Let us look into that mirror, unafraid of what we will see, for we know that it is a loving God who holds the mirror before us. Let us confess who we are in all of our flaws and brokenness, first together and then in silence. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. The earth and the fullness thereof are sustained by your gracious hand. We rest forever in your abiding care, and yet we live as though this were not true. That which we should resist, we succumb to, and that which we should do, we fail to do. It is our sin that causes us to live like this. Forgive us, we pray. Renew within us the desire to know your will, to do your will, and to live in you. For these and all our prayers we offer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's people, created, loved, forgiven. The God of grace has called us by name, and God will restore, support, and strengthen us. Believe the promise of the gospel.
The Gospel lesson this morning is from the Gospel of John. It is part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. In it, Jesus prays for his disciples. And so, he is praying for us. Listen for the word of God. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made known your name to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them. And they know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given to me so that they may be one as we are one. Thus ends the gospel lesson. Our New Testament lesson is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, the first chapter beginning at the sixth verse and continuing through the fourteenth. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been 
taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> A number of years ago, David Brooks wrote an op-ed piece entitled, It's Not About You. In it, Brooks presented a snapshot of the world into which that year's graduates were entering. It was a rather gloomy outlook, observing that while most of us would love to return to the age of 22 and start adulthood all over again, we surely wouldn't choose to do it then. He observed that the job market was wretched, the debt was ruinous, and perhaps most importantly, graduates would leave a world structured beyond what most of us are accustomed to encountering to enter a world less structured than any other time. 
the results of this potent mix he described thus. Most of them will not quickly get married, buy a home, and have kids as previous generations did. Instead, they will confront amazingly diverse job markets, social landscapes, and lifestyle niches. Most will spend a decade wandering from job to job and click to click searching for a role. That was more than 10 years ago. He conjectured that young adults have been steeped in the theology that suggests that life is all about us. Our commencement addresses tell us to go and do what we want to do, follow our bliss, as it were, seeking meaning in a belief that as long as I or we are doing what we want to be doing, we will find happiness. Brooks suggests otherwise, that quite frequently a life, indeed a good life, is made from doing what needs to be done rather than merely what wants to be done. Now, in revisiting his article, I was struck by how much more resilient the population he described turned out to be, reminding myself that prognosticating on the prospects of young people is generally a bad habit indulged in by people who want to make a point. Once we move beyond the hyperbole, I'd bet on the young adults every time. People have always lived through liminal seasons. They come and go. Let me tell you what I mean by this. By liminal, I mean transitional times. Liminal times are those moments when we stand on the threshold between what has been and what will yet be. Liminal times happen to us throughout our lives, and they are times pregnant with possibilities. At a profound level, our liminal times may be when we are waiting for the birth of a child or anticipating the death of a loved one. For those waiting for gainful and meaningful employment, the space between jobs must stretch out as interminable. At the level of the mundane, Liminal times can be something as simple as waiting for a home to sell in order to finalize a move. Or for those who are retiring, that space between when you've announced your retirement and when you're actually out the door into the next chapter of life. I think we can all understand some aspect of liminality in our own lives. What I struggle to understand, though, is a threshold that seems to extend indefinitely. It is one thing to know what lies on the side, on each side of the threshold, birth, death, employment, whatever. It is another thing altogether to look out into the great unknown with absolutely no idea what will emerge. If your framework is one that has, well, a framework, this is disquieting. I, in fact, I will go so far as to confess this is a somewhat alien concept to me, 
I finished college, went to graduate school, did a few things, went back to graduate school, got a job. Yes, I know my job is unusual, but at a basic level, that's the trajectory that those of us of a certain age understand. School, career, and if you're called to it, family. I have a hard time conceiving of life with, without these structures. But if Brooks is right, and this trajectory no longer rings true for many of us, then that represents a seismic shift toward liminal space for a very great many of us. And it is a threshold that extends indefinitely. What an unsettling place to be if we can relate to that feeling of unsettledness, then perhaps we can enter into the experience, the feeling that faced the early church in those early days described in the beginning chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, an indefinite threshold. In the 50 days between Easter and Pentecost, that is what the church faced. Jesus had died. He had risen, he had promised the Holy Spirit, and then he ascended. And then there was the waiting, and waiting, and waiting. I suppose 50 days isn't really all that long of a time, but it seems a long time to wait not knowing what is happening. So what do we do when the circumstances of life leave us unsettled? My friend Joan Malick is as an astute an observer of human nature as I know, and she years ago gave me a piece of simple, easy advice that most people won't follow. When you don't know what to do, Joan said, gather information. An easy principle. Eventually, the weight of the information will tell you what is a reasonable next step. But it requires an enormous amount of patience and a huge amount of trust. For those early believers, that's all they had. Promises were made. Liminal space stretched out indefinitely. And so they gathered, and they waited, and they prayed together. But they had not yet seen all the evidence. The weight of information had not yet yielded for them the path that they would follow going forward. What an extraordinary amount of faith it takes to wait and pray. Now, perhaps you are not afflicted with this compulsion, but I frequently have to suppress the urge to do something, anything really, whether it makes sense or not, in order to affect an outcome. So such faith seems extraordinary to me. 
it puts me in mind of a story I heard years ago. I've forgotten most of the particulars of it, but a group of American clergy had traveled to South Korea to offer the aid of the American Presbyterian to the Korean Presbyterian. Uh, you may know the largest Presbyterian church in the world is in Seoul. So the American ministers came and joined with their Korean counterparts, and they toured hospitals and school facilities, and each time they asked the Korean ministers, what can we do for you? And each time they asked, the Korean ministers replied, pray for us in what we are doing. The pattern continued indefinitely with the American ministers growing increasingly frustrated that the only answer their counterparts would offer was pray for us. And so finally, the American Presbyterians said rather impatiently to their host, no, you don't understand. We have money we want to share. We have these resources that we need to give away. So please tell us what we can do for you. To which the Korean ministers replied, nothing. There is nothing you can do for us. Because clearly, we do not have the same belief about prayer. There's something very counterintuitive to waiting and praying. It may even feel as if we aren't doing anything, when in fact to wait and to pray is to do something profoundly faithful. Now, prayer does not promise to give structure to our liminal times, but what prayer does do is allow us to claim our liminal times as opportunities where we might be productive, by seeking to understand better that which we do not understand, whatever that may be. Dr. Sang Hyung Lee makes the claim that in calling his followers, Jesus invited them to enter into a liminal time for which they might see the structures of society in such a way that allowed them to see what needed to be changed. Even more importantly, Dr. Lee wrote, Jesus does not leave us alone in our liminal wilderness. Jesus left home and lived in the wilderness of liminality at the edges of his society, in the space between belonging and not belonging. Working out of his liminal space, Jesus was radically open to his Father's will and lovingly embraced especially the despised and sick people in their mutual liminality thereby forming a new community, the household of God, that stood as an alternative to the existing social order. Perhaps that is what is most disconcerting about the concept of liminality, those times at the threshold or the edge of a transition, is the idea that something might be born out of them that is so entirely new and different as to be unrecognizable and therefore to be uncomfortable, and therefore to be challenging. To sit then in a time of not knowing, and to wait, and to pray, seems to me to ask a very great deal of us. 
it leaves me with that old adage so commonplace we've all heard it. It's the waiting I can't stand. And yet, we are left to wait for God to do something. So maybe it's good that we're unsettled. Because maybe God can do something productive with our unsettledness. Waiting and praying is an act of faith. It is the act of declaring we may not know what lies in our future, but we know who is in our future. And as we wait and pray, God has been known to do something creative from time to time. We, of course, do know the rest of the story. We know what happened when the disciples of Jesus gathered and waited and prayed. God created yet again. God created the church. Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit came, and Pentecost is coming for us as well. But while we are waiting on new things to happen, we have this model of faith to sit together and to pray. Now, I suspect that some of us, though not all, harbor secret doubts about the efficacy of waiting and praying. To all of you, I say this. You are my people. You are my people because I like to see things done and fixed. Just ask my spouse how well I do with an unfinished project. But my admonition for you and me is this. We do well not to get so busy with the doing and the fixing that we miss what God is doing and fixing. Because God is always working. It just sometimes takes us a while to see what God is doing. The discipline of waiting and praying prepares us to see the way of God. And I realize I may be belaboring this point, but I think that is just about the hardest thing in the world to do, to sit and wait and trust. It is so much easier to do something, anything other than that. And another thing, there are times when it is time to stop sitting and waiting and praying. Sometimes it is time to get a move on. But my hunch is that most of us are way better at the latter than we are at the former. And it takes serious grounding to know when it is time to wait and pray and when it is time to move and act. It takes real grounding to know the difference, to be able to discern what God would have from us. And that grounding comes in just one way. It comes from the life of faith. It comes from being together when we learn and worship. It comes from immersing ourselves in this faithful community with all its ebbs and flows, all its rhythms and rituals, because immersing ourselves in the faith community, which of course is exactly what those disciples and the women were doing at the end of that reading this morning, immersing ourselves in this faith community grounds our life as sacramental. It 
grounds our lives in a sacramental understanding of God when we gather at the font and at the table, but also and equally when we live in the recognition that God has slashed through the veil that separated the sacred from the ordinary and suffused all of life with sacredness. Baptism ushers us into a life of the sacred where all of our living is an act of prayer, an endless thank offering to God whose vast mystery and grace exceed any uncertainty we could ever imagine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
may be seated. At this point in our service, as we come to the sacrament of baptism, Elder Stella Thai will represent the session in presenting our candidates. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here as well these words from Holy Scripture. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And so obeying the word of our Lord Jesus Christ and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. So let us remember with joy our own baptism as we celebrate this sacrament. On behalf of the session, I present Brian to receive the sacrament of baptism. Brian, putting your whole trust in the grace and love of Jesus Christ, do you desire to be baptized? I do. Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Brian by word and deed, with love and prayer, encourage them to know and follow Christ and to be a faithful member of, his, of the Church? We do. Through baptism, we enter the covenant God has established. Within this covenant, God gives us new life, guards us from evil, and nurtures us in love. In embracing that covenant, we choose whom we will serve by turning from evil and turning to Jesus Christ. And now we are all invited to stand and let us profess our faith in Christ Jesus and to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, 
your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into the freedom of the promised land. In the waters of Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. We thank you, O God, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. From it, we are raised to share in his resurrection. Through it, we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Send your spirit to move over this water, that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise him to new life and graft him into the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon him that he may have power to do your will and continue forever in the risen life of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory, now and forever. Amen. What is your Christian name? Brian. Brian, son of the covenant, I baptize Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. May God's blessing rest on you this day and every day hereafter. Amen. Now, many of you have been asking if I'm going to carry Brian down the aisle. (laughs) I believe we can forego the victory lap this time, but you have made the exact same promise you always make in a world short of commitment. You have committed to be a community of faith that surrounds Brian in his faith journey. You have committed to be with him as Christ is with us. You have committed to show him through the manner of your life, to walk alongside him as each of you seek to show to one another in the manner of our lives what it is to know Jesus Christ by what we say and by what we do. So as always, I admonish you to take that promise with the utmost of seriousness, and I invite you to affirm it once more by standing and singing together the Aaronic benediction.
To God, we give thankful response for all the gifts we have received, especially today for the gift of baptism. So in gratitude, let us bring our own gifts, returning in love a part of our abundance, that the church may use it and may use us in Christ's ministry. You may bring your gifts forward to the place on the tables now or after the service, or you are invited to give online.
May these gifts be used to bring your kingdom to earth and to strengthen this congregation to be more faithful, more present, and more daring in our community and in the world. Amen. You may be seated. Let us together offer our prayers of thanksgiving and intercession. Let us pray. In the silence of the sanctuary, O God, and in this community of faith, we offer the prayers of our hearts. We ask that you will open the channel between us and your presence, a passageway for our longings and our hopes. Lift the veil between us and your ascendant divinity that we may hear your word and know your love more clearly. We offer our thanksgiving for the life we have, for breath, for health, for human family and community, for this good and beautiful and fruitful earth. We are grateful for this church, for its mission in the city and the wider world. We are grateful for our callings, our vocations, for good work to do and the skills and abilities to accomplish that work. We are grateful for our minds and our ability to ask questions and for our ability to love others, both friends and even sometimes strangers and even those we call enemy. We thank you for giving us the freedom to love with Christ's love and to embrace the world with his compassion. And we lift our intercessions to you, our hopes for healing in all the places and ways that this world needs healing. We pray for all the places where grief and fear blanket people's lives. For the peoples of Ukraine, of Sudan, of Ethiopia, and of our own city of Philadelphia. Cover them with your chesed, your loving kindness, your healing grace. Show us ways that we can extend compassion in your name. We pray for those who have lost what is precious to them, those they love, homes and homelands, safety, good health, meaningful jobs, mental acuity, a sense of peace. We pray for those who stand at places of beginning the newborn, the newly married, 
those newly nominated to govern, those with new jobs, those who will leave us for new homes, the newly baptized, especially this day for Brian. And we pray for those who find themselves at places of ending, those finishing school and graduating, those moving away from familiar homes, those ending relationships, those approaching the ending of their lives. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. And we know that you are with us in all our beginnings and all our endings. Be present especially to the men and women we have chosen to, to lead this nation and govern this city. Give them a full measure of wisdom, of courage, and of compassion, that they might put their own partisan wishes aside, put on the clothes of humility, and make justice for all their guiding light. Following the example of Jesus' disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, we are bold to pray for your world, your creation, and for ourselves. May we, with one accord, devote ourselves to prayer. May we receive the power of your Holy Spirit and be witnesses here in our church, in our city and neighborhoods, and even to the ends of the earth. We offer these prayers in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us the words of his prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
there are endless anecdotes about prayer and what it does to people. Truthfully, there's not many that many stories of when prayer changed God's mind particularly, and it's frankly a dreadful way to try to change other people. But prayer does have a remarkably consistent way of changing the one doing the praying. So as you go from here, go confident in your baptism that the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all your needs. And pray. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.